Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 16. God has rejected Saul as the king of Israel. You might remember that from the last time we gathered uh, and uh, met together to study the word of God. And in chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord says to Samuel the prophet, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, it's not like God's saying, like, I don't care about your feelings. But apparently some time has passed, and Samuel is still grieving and mourning the failure of Saul as king. Maybe it was because he genuinely liked or loved Saul. I'm sure that could be the case. Maybe it's because he felt some connection to him as the one who had uh, been used by God to anoint him king over Israel. Uh, Whatever the reason was, he was still mourning. And it's not that God doesn't care about his feelings, but it's that he had work for Samuel to do. It's, that, it's not that Samuel was, it's one thing to grieve over somebody who is lost in sin. It's one thing to grieve over somebody who has gone down a path that is leading to destruction. That's not what this is talking about. It's that Samuel had apparently in his heart put some level of trust in the leadership of a person. And God says, hey, I still got work to do. I'm still the one in charge. I'm still moving and I have work for you to do. So he tells him, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So he takes a horn that's been hollowed out and had a sort of a cap put on it, fills it with the anointing oil, and travels to Bethlehem. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. This is a practical reality. God, I get that you want to anoint someone else king, but Saul is the king, and if he hears that I am anointing other kings, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. I've always been struck by, and I think I've talked about this before, but I've always been struck by the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is visited by the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel says, Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth will have a son even though you are in your 80s and you've never been able to have a child, you are going to have a child. And he says, how can this be? And the angel says, I am Gabriel who sits in the presence of God. You will not speak until after the child is born so that you will know the power of God. And then Gabriel visits a young woman, probably in her early teens, 14, 15 years old, named Mary, who lives in the town of Nazareth, and says, even though you are a virgin, you've never uh, been with a man, you will conceive and have a son. And she says the same thing. How can this be? And nothing happens to her. What's the difference? Zechariah said, how can this be? In disbelief, in doubting. Mary said, how's that going to happen? Because she just didn't know. I think what's going on here is that Samuel's just saying, in practical terms, God, if I go do this, uh, people are going to say, hey, Samuel, where are you going? I'm going to anoint a new king. The old king is going to kill me. Just just saying this. And he's being honest with God in his prayers. And so God says, hey, I've got you covered. This is what you do. You take with, with you a heifer, 
And you, what, somebody says, where are you going? You're saying, I'm going to sacrifice in Bethlehem. And oh, okay, Samuel doing Samuel things. He's the prophet of God. He's, he's uh, sort of been the bridge in between uh, the old priests and the new priests. And so, okay, it makes sense that he's doing that. And who are we to question why he's doing anything? And so he does that. And verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. We think of Bethlehem as an important place. It's the city where David came from. It's the city where Jesus was born. But in those days, just as in the days when Jesus was born, it was not an important place. So the most, you know, other than the king, and even maybe other than the king, the most important person in the nation has shown up to this very unimportant town. And says they trembled when they met him and they asked, do you come in peace? Hey, did you, did you come to like bring a curse on us? Like, why are you here? You, you, there's no reason for you to be here except that we did something wrong. Kind of makes you wonder if they had a guilty conscience. Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived... Samuel saw Elihab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before, stands here before the Lord. So Elihab would have been the oldest son of Jesse. Samuel sees him and says, yeah, I can see what God's doing here. He's young, he's, he's vibrant, he's healthy, he looks like a king. Okay, all right, God's still got a plan. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And the Lord does not look on the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's interesting to me, what does it say about Saul? Saul was a head and shoulders taller than everyone else in Israel. He was the tallest. He was good looking. He was a warrior. He, he had, some, in the beginning, not later, but in the beginning, he had a certain amount of humility to him. All of these things that from the outward you would go, that's our guy. This is Chris Hemsworth. This is our, our leader. This is our warrior king. And it failed. And yet, what do we do? We do the same things over and over again. We, we know that this doesn't work, but then we're like, well, maybe it'll work this time. We know that, that following God works and not following God leads to disaster, but you know maybe this time it'll be different. We know all of these things, and Samuel's just falling into the same trap. Oh, it didn't work with Saul, but maybe it'll work with Eliab and Eliab. And God says, no, I'm looking internally. I'm looking at the heart. You're looking externally. You're looking at all the external reasons why. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and had him pass in front of Samuel. So the next son comes up, and Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Shaman passed by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass by Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. Now Jesse may actually not know what's going on. It's, you know, hey, bring your son to me. Nope, not him. Maybe Jesse thinks that uh, Samuel's going to anoint one of his sons to be the next prophet. Uh, maybe he thinks that uh, Samuel's getting older, he's looking for an assistant, you know, uh, something like that. I don't think that they realize what Samuel is there for. That's just my guess. But all of his sons pass by and the Lord says, nope, nope, nope. And Samuel says, do you have any other sons? Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So 
David is, well, we know it's David, but, but this other son is so unimportant, such an afterthought that they didn't even think to send for him. He's not worth calling for. He's not worth being here. He's not important enough. So he sent for him and have him brought in, and he was glowing with health and fine in appearance and handsome in features. And the Lord said, Rise up and anoint him. This is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went up to Ramah. Wait a minute, Adam. You just said that Samuel was looking at the outward appearance, and God said, don't look at that, but then it makes a big deal about David's outward appearance. Well, look, both can be true. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there are parts of the church that absolutely make a big emphasis on outward appearance. You may have heard about this, you may not have, but a few years ago, there was a story that a church over in, I think it was Hillsboro, but a church Hillsboro, Beaverton area, basically said, we aren't putting anyone up on stage who isn't good-looking. Uh, so, so the only people who would be allowed on stage, announcements, preaching, uh, music, anything, if you were up front in that church, you had to be good-looking. Then they were honest about it. They just said, yep, that's true. You know, we, we want to put, they had all these reasons why when they got found out, it was, I, I would say I at least respected that they doubled down and that they didn't like shirk away like, oh yes, no, 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 that's a misunderstanding. But obviously that's what was happening. I appreciated that they at least said, yep, that's what we're doing. We're only putting the good looking people up there. At least they're honest about it because there's plenty of churches that aren't honest about it. And you go to their website and it's like, we're only going to put good looking people on our website or, hey, we have one not white person in the church and they are all over our website so we can show you how diverse we are. Okay. I'm just going to say, and like, let's be honest about it, like he was good looking and so what will happen is there'll be Christians and churches that will know about like churches like that one in Hillsboro that's all about substance, it's not about, or style, it's not about substance, it's all about the outward, we're only going to put the good looking people up and, and they'll say, well, we're the opposite, and, and we aren't going to have anything look good. And if you have anything, try to look good. Oh, what's that? You want, you want to put, um, we're just going to put the harshest fluorescent lights on everybody. And, and what, you want to actually, like, paint your sanctuary in a way, a way that looks nice? That's just flash. Our sanctuary is going to look ugly. You know, you know what I'm saying? Is There's this weird reaction. Like, David was a young, healthy, handsome guy. Nothing wrong with that. And God was not looking for those looks as the reason why he chose him, but nor was God discriminating against him because of his youth or his health or his features. Both are true. So God sent, uh, so, so God anointed him, had, had Samuel anoint him, and then Samuel leaves. This is an interesting thing, of, thing to think about, is that David is a now anointed king, but he isn't king. God has said, you're the guy I pick. But it is years before David becomes the king. Don't be surprised if God has spoken something to you and you're like, I think this is something God has for me, but there's a waiting process. People forget this because what happens with the Bible, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you know this. You could go from chapter one to chapter two and the Bible doesn't tell you that there's like four years in between. Um, this happens in the book of Acts where there's literally like chapter three and chapter four and there's like a three to four year period in between that, that Luke doesn't tell us about. 
partly just because ancient writers weren't interested in, in that kind of information. Uh, and that's not just the Bible. That's true in, in a lot of ancient writing. But, but the idea is that we think everything happens all together. So you read the book of Acts and you see how Saul is going to Damascus. He's going to go kill Christians there, put them in jail persecute them, and Jesus meets him on the road, and he has this amazing conversion experience, and then we think, boom, immediately he becomes the Apostle Paul, and he writes 13 books of the Bible. But if you read the book of Galatians, you find out that there was actually like 14 years where Paul kind of lived in obscurity, that for a while he lived out in this kind of remote wildernessy town, and then he was you know, he felt like, I think God's calling me to do something in ministry. And so he goes and, he, and it, it doesn't work out in Jerusalem. So then he goes again to this kind of obscure place until this guy Barnabas says, hey, let's go grab Paul. We got some work to do. And, and Barnabas kind of grabs him and says, hey, come with me. We're going to go serve the Lord in Antioch. But, but the idea is, is that we think, oh, you know, boom, this just happened. No, David's anointed king and it's years till he's king. God called Saul to serve him and said, hey, I have a plan for you, and, you're, and his name becomes Paul, and there's this whole thing, but it's years before that happens. Don't, don't despise the Lord's time of working. I like that Samuel just leaves. My job's done. He doesn't feel like he has to control David, which is something that older Christians have a tendency to do. We want to control the younger generation. We want to make sure they're doing it the, our way or the way that we think that they should do it. He just says, hey, God's got a plan for you. Follow God. And he leaves. I love that. Now, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord had tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for somebody who can play the lyre and he will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. And one of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is fine looking man and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. Ooh, now imagine you have just been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And then you get a message from the current king saying, hey, come here. That's going to freak you out, right? It sure would to me. So, Saul, so Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat and sent them with his son David to Saul. So Jesse sends like an offering to the king, like, hey, yeah, king, we're, we're, we're good. David entered, uh, came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. And whenever the spirit of God came, the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. All right, so there's a lot of uh, debate about this whole evil spirit with Saul thing. It says the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. One of the things that I think people fail to understand when reading the Bible is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same God. You hear this over and over again, right? Like there's the Old Testament God and he's mean, he's angry, he's spiteful, he's vengeful, whatever. And then there's the New Testament God and he's nice and loving and he thinks everybody's awesome. It's the same God. The same God of love and grace and mercy and peace is active and working in the Old Testament. And the same God who judges 
and who, who is against evil, who is opposed to wickedness, is active in the New Testament. It's the same God. There is no difference. One thing that is different, though, is how God operates. All Christians have the Spirit of God in them. And all Christians, I believe, can seek the Spirit of God coming upon them. But in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament times, the Spirit of God was not in people because Jesus had not conquered death yet. The Spirit of God could come upon people in power, but it seemed to only happen to random people at certain times, whereas opposed to we see continually in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit coming upon believers in power and not just certain people, not just the apostles, not just pastors, but average everyday Christians. So the Spirit of God at one point had come upon Saul in power, but because of Saul's sin and rebellion, it had been removed. The Holy Spirit, he had removed himself from Saul's life. And so now it's replaced by a tormenting spirit. Again, do we know exactly what's going on? No, we're only told what Saul's servants thought was going on. We aren't told uh, from the author, this is what happened. We are told this is what Saul's servants said happened. That's That's a difference. That's a nuance. So it could be that God was allowing an evil spirit to torment Saul. It could be that God was uh, judging Saul for his sin and rebellion. It could be that neither of those things were really happening and that Saul was uh, dealing with, um, you know, uh, clinical issues. Or or it could be clinical issues plus uh, demonic activity. We just don't know. But the point is, is that the, the, the servant said, how can we help our master? And so they said, if we can get somebody who, um, if we can get somebody who's a good musician, this will just help chill them out. And I, I think that's true, right? Um, music helps soothe the human soul. It just does. Music helps soothe the human soul. And, and there's different ways that that's experienced, right? Like, um, you know, sometimes I've been really, list- I've been into lute music, uh, which is similar to the liar, uh, but but there's a gal named Evangeline Mascardi, uh, who's one of the best lute players in the world, Italian lady, and I've been listening to her music a lot uh, on YouTube. She's fantastic. I love her playing this old lute music. It's great. But you know, uh, I used to have this really stressful job back in my twenties. I had this really stressful job, and that would not calm me. The lute music. The the most stress relieving thing I could do was get in my car. And it was usually August Burns Red, but sometimes it was War of Ages or uh, Maylene and, or Sons of Disaster or some of these other metal bands. I listened to heavy metal. I, I listened to guys screaming and, you know, that whole thing, right? Like heavy, heavy music. And I wasn't screaming in my car. I would just drive along and it, it was a stress reliever for me. Maybe not for you, but it was for me. The point I'm making is, is that they said, hey, we know that, this is going on. How can we help him? And so they said, well, let's get somebody who's good at, at music to soothe his soul. And David had had a reputation as being a gifted musician. And so they said, hey, let's get him. Now, they have no idea. They have no idea that God has anointed David to be the next king. None. They just say, hey, here, come here. And here's the thing. 
when God anoints somebody for his service, we don't need to promote ourselves because God will promote and move and work. We just have to step out in faith and do the work that God has called us to do. Well, as our time comes to an end, I want to thank you again for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Music and Spotify. You can search Faith on Hill on either of those platforms. Video versions are available on our Facebook page. You can follow Faith on Hill at Faith on Hill on both Instagram and Facebook. Our website's faithonhill.com. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. We'll see you again next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.